Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. And as always, I'm here with my very festive co-host, Bill Donahue. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and Alex Lawson. You can't hear me because I have a lampshade over my head because I'm getting the holiday party started early. Well, uh, we, were, we were talking about last year we had a whole segment about do's and don'ts for, for you know, holiday parties. Yeah. And how many of them are we going to check how, off How do we do? Did we ever check back in on that? <laughs> we we were very smart to not really check back, I back imagine in on that. Vin, our employment reporter who was on talking about it, I can imagine him just sitting there with his story being like, you didn't follow any of my rules. <laughs> well, Steve said he was talking to Vin. He's like, I'm pretty sure we do all this stuff. <laughs> so just to make this very clear for the listeners, we're recording this um, the morning before our big Law 360 holiday party. Ow! And I'm always so excited about it, guys. I love it. Yeah, you know, people are, we're, we're going to have some people on the show uh, who are in from out of town. It's always nice that it's, it's. I mean, it's a it's a cliche. It's a festive atmosphere. People, it is. You see these people basically once a year and everybody's feels, in the New York office. It has reuniony sort of vibes. Big you know, time. You, see, it's, you only see these people once a year. Year and it's like, hey, we talked about one thing last year. It's good Let's stuff. talk about a second thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, and late in the show, the last thing we're going to do is um, have Dorothy Adkins on, who's a California courts reporter. She's going to tell us a really funny story about telekinesis, UFOs, just some lighthearted stuff. Yeah. We also have Dan Siegel coming on the show. He's um, also in town for the holiday party. He's going to tell us about what he wrote for our Access to Justice newsletter this past week. It's a story about... Um, victims of alleged abuse by priests in the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. and whether or not they can get a broader window in which to file suit. Hmm. Yeah, Uh, good discussion uh, with Dan coming up on that. Uh, Before we get into that, though, it's back to our uh, one of our hobby horses here, uh, a legal uh, an update on the many legal travails of Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen has legal travails. Yeah. Well, they're never heard that they're they're just about over now as, as, as far as it looks now. So. Michael Cohen, of course, is President Donald Trump's former attorney, and uh, on Wednesday this week, he was sentenced to three years in prison uh, for what the judge called a a veritable smorgasbord of fraudulent conduct. <laughs> it does appear that the, the man's entire life was just one like series of sort of like like stream of consciousness fraud. It's, I mean. The stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the the scene at the court like painted a really interesting portrait of the man, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, uh, in case you forgot, the the nature of these uh, of these crimes is um, arranging payments to women for their silence about sexual relationships they had with Trump in the run up to the election, um, as well as lying to Congress about Trump's business dealings in Russia. And to be clear, why is that an issue? The the payments to the payments to, to, to women. Yeah, well, we can just, I mean, I think everybody has this memorized by now, but these are different, you know, two separate six-figure payments to the porn star Stormy Daniels uh, and the former Playboy playmate uh, Karen McDougal. Um, and Cohen has said that he made these payments to these women through a shell company um, at the direction of Trump himself. Um, and because it was meant to buy their silence in the run-up to the election, federal prosecutors have framed this as... Um, an in-kind campaign donation. Right. Like it, it, it is a payment made to sort of improve the stature of the Trump campaign. Right. Therefore, it is a violation of campaign finance laws. Um, the other thing that, that sort of came out that was in the ether here uh, and he was sentenced for um, was he lied to a Senate Intelligence Committee uh, about Trump's business dealings in Russia. He initially told that committee that um, Trump sort of was pursuing uh, a real estate development in Moscow and he stopped 
around January of 2016. He later said, I actually lied about that. Uh, <laughs> it was going in through June 2016, like after he had secured the nomination, very close to the election. I would like to offer a clarification. Clarification, yeah. <laughs> um, so Regarding, regarding Russia. <laughs> I was many months late on um, what I said. Uh, but, uh, you know... Everyone kind of knows the broad strokes here. This is a political story, first and foremost. It has implications for Trump's presidency. Some major ones came out, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but, you know, for the purposes of our listenership, uh, the judge, William Pauley, in the Southern District, offered uh, sort of a clean, uh, really just kind of legal profession take on it. He said... Um, each of the crimes involved deception, and each appears to have been motivated by personal ambition and greed. As a lawyer, he should have known better. Right. I have thought that sentence so often. Like, you have to pass part of the bar that's just about ethics. Trump <laughs> like, said the same thing today. He tweeted out today. He was like, Michael was my lawyer, and he, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, if he was doing something wrong, he should have known. Lawyers should know that stuff. So it's funny to see Trump and the judge on the, on well, the same page Well, I mean, there. it sounds like the judge had really pointed commentary here. I imagine it was just a, a madhouse in the court. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't there. Pete uh, Pete Brush, our, our, our reporter, was there, and every report you read said Cohen gave like this lengthy and tearful statement to the court, um, basically, again, saying that he had done this at Trump's behalf, on his behalf, and really kind of like painting himself as this, just this like dutiful friend who had gotten sucked in by Trump's like, I don't know, like his charisma, social magnetism. I don't know what it was, but he said, uh, these are just some choice quotes here. Here's from Cohen. Blind loyalty to this man led me to choose a path of darkness, not light. Like he's, I he's, feel like, this, like he's Yoda over these, there. <laughs> these courtroom proceedings are like poetry. I know. Well, I mean, um, it's I mean, he's he's like a, such a I mean, not sad. I don't mean like in a moral sense, but like a, a like literary tragic figure. But again, this doesn't really comport with some of the stuff we've seen like oh the, no the, he i'm not trying fraudulent to... taxi cab business oh yeah like... that i i forgot to mention that part he was also rung up on tax evasion charges relating to right. that stuff but that it doesn't yeah. really have much to do with blind loyalty to trump no right. no um uh, he he had a an interesting i mean for his tearful statement he had an interesting spin on it. he said the irony is today is the day i'm getting my freedom back this is moments after he was sentenced to three years in federal prison. wow good uh history will not remember me as the villain um, again, he said uh, Trump's extraordinary powers of persuasion uh, were were uh, were at play here. Um, he also uh, basically went full Ghostbusters two and said, "Time, <laughs> death is but a door. Time is but a window. I'll be back." <laughs> no, he basically was like, um, "I will. Uh, I'm still willing to co to cooperate with the Mueller investigation." He he hinted. Like, I mean, I don't know what he's trying to do because he's not he, – he, he cooperated with the Mueller investigation and his lawyers tried to get him a more right. favorable, you know, but what, more lenient deal here. But what's, what needs to be said is that he didn't actually reach a formal right. plea agreement. Yeah, he didn't I mean, he was, in a formal, a formal <laughs> cooperation agreement. No, um, he, he didn't and that's why he got three years instead of like he was asking for probation and stuff like that. Um, but he said, I'm, I'm willing to continue working with the special counsel – uh, to like, he apparently has more information about, and this is the quote: Trump's dirty deeds. Hmm. Uh, so, and and so again, we, we might hear more then, I guess. Yeah, and again, I mean, on the nature of those dirty deeds, it, it bears repeating is that, and he he said it when he pled guilty, and he said it when he was sentenced. He was like, Donald Trump directed me to make this payment. That's right. A, that that that's a claim. Th these payments that that is a claim that he implicated Trump individual one in a felony. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, it, it it's it's still. 
or an arrangement of a presidential campaign presidential right. candidate at that right. time. But right. anyway, yeah. So that's that's the state of play there. But there was some other news that was that came to light this this week that we didn't know. Right. Shortly after the uh, the Cohen sentencing, we got another bombshell from the Southern District of New York, the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, American Media Inc., which is the publisher of a bunch of tabloids, including National Enquirer, yeah. um, admitted in a non-prosecution agreement um, to paying hush money to Karen McDougal, one of the two yeah. women that you mentioned um, who had an affair with Trump, uh, an alleged affair with Trump, um, that, that they had paid her with the intention of, of helping Trump. Trump's campaign. The, um, they were going to bury. They, they run it. They had the rights of the story and then buried the story. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. as I said, it came in a agreement which um, will shield them from prosecution uh, in return for continued cooperation with the investigation. That's another bombshell. As if we haven't had enough this week, but tell me exactly what they admitted to here. So Trump has had sort of this long friendship with a guy named David Pecker, who is the head of AMI. Yeah. Um, and um, there's a lot of good reporting out there about sort of their relationship over the years of him helping Trump bury bad stories. Um, but so he met with Cohen in 2015 saying, what can I do to help? Uh, what can I do to help the campaign? And they came up with this scheme uh, to suppress negative stories. It's a thing called um, catch and kill, which is a thing that happens in sort of the tabloid media with celebrities. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that... Um, uh, a publication like National Enquirer will put the feelers out for negative stories, pay for exclusive rights to them, yeah. mm -hmm. and then never run the story. Yeah. So it basically takes the story and takes it, makes like it so that it market. can't run anywhere else. Exactly. So he offered to do that and reached this agreement to do that. In 2016, um, that's exactly what they did with McDougal. They paid mm -hmm. her uh, $150,000 um, in cooperation with with Co Cohen. Um, yeah coordinated by Cohen um, for the rights to her story for about this this affair that she had with Trump. Mm -hmm. um, the quote from the agreement with prosecutors um, said that AMI, quote, admitted that its principal purpose in making that payment was to suppress the woman's story so as to prevent it from influencing the election. Yeah. I mean, so pretty, pretty clear there. This seems to be bringing together a lot of strands that we'd heard bits and pieces of this in reporting by places like the New York Times and the Washington Post. And, and the Wall Street others. Journal in particular yeah, really yeah. has led the charge on this. So is this um, really the factual turning point where now we have confirmation that those stories were accurate? Yeah, it's a big it's a big deal because it confirms a lot of things that have already been reported out. But it, it's it's, you know, when you combine it with Cohen's guilty plea, it means yeah. that two of the of the key players in these in these payments to the women say that they were done specifically as as you know as knowing violations of campaign finance law that they were meant to to influence the election they were meant to keep these stories from preventing Trump from getting elected um it's a huge deal for prosecutors because you'll probably remember that um John Edwards was brought up on similar charges to this mm -hmm. of um you know making an in-kind campaign finance donation by paying off women to stay silent about yeah. an alleged affair. The key in that situation, Edwards eventually got off, and his argument was that they had done this for personal reasons, that he was trying to shield his personal life from Yeah, being... like his family exactly. and all of that. Um, and not for political reasons. Both Cohen and AMI are now saying in legal documents, we did this, we, we, you know, we made these payments specifically to 
to help Trump's campaign. Yeah. It also means the other big thing is that it just means that AMI, who apparently has a whole safe of bad stories about Trump and, you know, David Pecker has been his friend for a long time. It's another key ally, both from his previous life in New York City, in the in the sort of messy world of New York City uh, uh, real estate. Yeah. And, you know, his campaign, it's another person who knows a lot about that, who has now said explicitly, I'm working with the investigation. And the agreement with prosecutors said that AMI had provided, quote, substantial and important assistance. And obviously they were given this this non-prosecution agreement. They were shielded from prosecution. So clearly they are really helping with this investigation. So we'll see what comes out of it. But it's, it's definitely not good news for Trump. Yeah. This year, we saw a bombshell grand jury report on the misconduct of priests in Pennsylvania. Now, victims and advocates have rallied behind a state bill that would extend the amount of time that victims of childhood sexual abuse can sue. But not everyone supports the proposed change. Today, we welcome senior reporter Dan Siegel for a discussion on what's unfolding in the Keystone State. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me on, guys. It's also nice to have you in our New York City offices, so <laughs> it's great to be talking about this in person. But we are talking about something pretty serious here. Can you tell us um, how these sexual abuse allegations have come back into the news now? Uh, yeah, so it started this year. Uh, again, in 2018, there was another grand jury report in Pennsylvania. Uh, there had previously been a couple of these uh, for Philadelphia, Altoona, Johnstown. This one was for basically every other diocese in the state. And the grand jury report, you know, talked to dozens of witnesses or saw testimony from dozens of witnesses, uh, reviewed documents, things like that. And they found that there were probably thousands of kids abused by priests over decades. So this is a lot like uh, a lot of people saw the movie Spotlight that was nominated for an Oscar, won the Oscar a few years ago. So this is more allegations that are sort of in that same vein. Right. Very much like Spotlight in that there was evidence of a church cover up and that, you know, this went on for a long time. And yeah, I mean, very much like Spotlight. So what we're talking about here today is the ability of people who were perhaps victims uh, to get their day in court. Um, so could you sort of walk us through, like, you know, can can people who maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, can they, they sue um, in, in present day? Uh, and the short answer is no. Yeah. Um, you know, I spoke to several survivors of abuse in Pennsylvania who are sort of advocating for a change in law because of this. One of them, Sean Doherty, told me about, you know, being groomed by a priest. He said it was his parish's favorite priest. You know, he was a peewee basketball coach, a religion teacher, and, you know, was groomed over a number of years, was sexually uh, abused by this priest. And it wasn't until 2012 when this priest was kicked out of the priesthood. He was defrocked. And basically prosecutors came forward saying, hey, if you have any details about him, please come talk to us. And it's pretty typical. I know you mentioned in your story, it's pretty typical, right, that, that people will not come forward for, for years later. Yeah, I mean, Doherty told me that, you know, just he just didn't feel like he could. You yeah. know, his parents loved this yeah. priest. Uh, always, you know, everybody knew him as, like, a great presence in the community. He didn't feel like anybody would believe him first. And if they did believe him, that they would think it was his fault, basically. Yeah, I mean, statutes of limitation exist in our legal system for a reason. But, I mean, when it's a crime of this specific nature, I mean, the, the victims are literally children. There's manifold reasons why they wouldn't tell anybody at the time it happens. And that's sort of kicking off this reform discussion that we're having. And that's like, and where there's some momentum building now within Pennsylvania to 
change, the window of time that you can bring a claim. Can you tell us about the nature of this change that people are asking for? Yeah, of course. And I think it's worth mentioning, actually, even before this current change, for a long time, not just in Pennsylvania, but around the country, uh, the statute of limitations was really short, maybe two years after the incident. From so the incident, yeah. a child who was abused at age nine would have till age 11 to bring a claim. And that's changed. You know, states have pushed it further and further as they've learned more about the nature of this. But even in Pennsylvania today, the person who suffered the abuse has to bring the claim by the time they're age 30. Hmm. Okay. And under this new law, you would have until age 50, and there would be a two-year window where people who now have a claim that was previously expired can then come to the courts. And that seems pretty logical um, when you're explaining it to us. So are there other states that have pushed that uh, that window longer to 50 or, or other ages? Yeah, you know, since actually the Spotlight Report in 2002, which really sort of started the ball rolling on a lot of this, nine states uh, have passed some sort of window statute. Uh, you know, most uh, impactfully, I would say, is California's, which uh, passed it in 2002, went into effect, you know, start of 2003, and there's been over a billion dollars in settlements paid out by the church, including $660 million by the wow. Los Angeles Archdiocese alone. But so getting back to Pennsylvania, which was a big focus of your story, sort of explain what exactly this this um, you know this effort is and, and who's pushing it. Right. So this current effort has really been led by uh, State Representative Mark Rossi, uh, who himself was raped by a priest, uh, Edward Graff, uh, who's now deceased and was named in the grand jury report. And, you know, Rossi's talked a lot about the impact it's had on his life. And so, you know, he's been pushing this for a few years. You know, he uh, tried to get it passed in 2016, and it actually came up for, you know, hearings in the state legislature mm -hmm. where we saw some opposition uh, from the people who are opposing this bill. Yeah, I mean, anytime there's, it, it, it's, it seems odd that as, as we're talking about it here that somebody could be opposed to such a thing, but this is- Well, uh, but as you mentioned before, there's a reason why statutes of limitations right. exist in a, in a big picture sense. Exactly. You know, these are bad facts for arguing for a statute of limitations. Without a doubt. Can we talk about exactly what's going on with the opposition to this bill? I mean, who's saying it? What, what arguments are they making here? Right. So, you know, that is one of the big pieces of opposition is the- broader picture, theoretical, you know, we oppose retroactive changes to statute of limitations in general. For example, the American Tort Reform Association does not like these laws. Insurance federations do not like these laws. Mm -hmm. uh, just because the principle of we base our law, you know, we base our actions on these set laws. We know how much time we are exposed to a claim. And when you start messing with that, you know, it raises due process questions, things like that. So are they worried about things like, you know, records that might be gone and, and that kind of discovery type stuff? They are. And I think they're also just generally worried about claims that they weren't going to have to worry about. Now they would have yeah. to worry about them. What's the church's take on this? The church's take is that they feel very bad and they want to be sympathetic to victims. They promote victim compensation funds, which give them sort of more control over the process, you know, more limits probably on how much actually would get paid out. Mm -hmm. uh, they're worried about going bankrupt. And they say that. They say, you know, if you let these laws get passed, all these dioceses will be bankrupted and they won't be able to provide the wonderful services that they currently are. So you actually talked to several people who were victims of this abuse as kids. Why are they so adamant about needing to be in court? Because as you just said, there are victim compensation funds and other mechanisms that the church has tried to put in place. Yeah, well, it's like going back to the spotlight thing once again. There was a huge cover-up here. Priests were moved. Uh, senior church officials knew about some abuse and either did nothing or covered it up. And these victims feel like there's no way they'll get that information into the light, you know, get to really find out what happened, who was responsible, unless they get into lawsuits and get into discovery. Yeah, I mean, that that's what actually struck me when you talked about the utility of laws like this, because like it, it's generated 
lots of settlements, which is, I mean, it's good for the victims of things like this to have money. But then you wonder about like the like whether or not just like always papering over the thing with settlements is like the best thing from like a holistic standpoint of like actually solving the problem. So that's interesting. Um, is there any indication? Like, I mean, do you, do you have do you get a lay of the land in terms of what actually is the future of this bill? Yeah. So right now it has been kind of stalled in the Senate. Uh, where the Republicans control it. Uh, Joe Scarnati is the Senate president pro tempore, and he's basically not allowed Rossi's version of the bill to come up for a vote. Uh, he believes it's unconstitutional under Pennsylvania's constitution, which has a, this thing called the remedies clause, and just basically says certain uh, legal things must be done in, in due course of law, which mm-hmm. the courts have taken to mean that you can't do it retroactively, you can't change these things retroactively. So even if this thing passes, it may face uh, a constitutional challenge in the courts? A hundred percent. And yeah. there, there has been talk of amending the Pennsylvania Constitution oh, to wow. allow for it. Um, you know, right now, I don't think the bill is going to go anywhere as long as Carnati's in charge. But if you look at New York, which is kind of in a similar position, uh, lawmakers there have been promoting a similar bill called the Child Victims Act that would also create a window. And again, was stalled in the state Senate where the Republicans controlled it. After this past election, the Democrats have taken it. Uh, you know, Governor Cuomo has come out and said this getting a bill passed of some form for a window statute is a priority. Hmm. So it's looking it's looking like it could happen. And so you don't know what could happen in Pennsylvania. You know, see what happens in two years. Dan, thanks for being on the show. This is a really serious topic, but I think it's one we'll want to watch in a variety of states to see if more statutes get passed. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately, uh, as long as these grand jury reports, you know, this information keeps coming up about the church abuse, it's going to stay a relevant topic. Dinner show is something offbeat, and we have a special guest joining us for our offbeat segment today, Dorothy Adkins. Thanks for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me. So, Dorothy, you cover the courts in California. We're uh, lucky to have you in the office in New York today. It's a two for today. We yeah. had Dan there before. So, the West Coast swing. I yeah, know that <laughs> you covered um, what sometimes can be a little on the dry side, jury selection in a patent trial. Woof. Um, <laughs> I am you know, excited. Guys, you should be, because I think Dorothy um, can tell us how it's it was not boring this time around. But tell us, just give us the setup of what the case was. Right. So um, this was a case, a patent infringement case uh, filed by uh, Finjen, uh, which is a non-practicing entity at the, at the moment. Uh, it used to uh, sell products, but currently it doesn't. And um, they has they have sued Juniper Networks, which is um, they develop switches and other kind of technology. Um, but they they uh, Finjen sued Juniper, uh, accusing it of infringing multiple patents. Um, and the one there was only one at issue in this case involving um, kind of uh, detecting malicious actors in downloadable. So so it's a lot yeah, pretty it's pretty a dry minute so far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say this 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 tracks with all the patent stuff I've ever. This read, is the but... wildest offbeat segment we've ever done. <laughs> okay. So where did it get really fun? Yeah. So d- there, during jury selection, actually, when the jurors weren't in the room, the potential jurors, uh, Judge Alsop um, looked around the courtroom and he said. Uh, he made a comment about how he always finds jury selection in patent infringement cases very interesting, and um, he likes to look at which side chooses to knock off uh, people who know something about science. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it, so then, so then he kind of paused and he like suggested everyone pay attention, and then he called the jurors back into the room, 
Um, there were a panel of about 14 left at that point. And then he asked them who believed in UFOs um, <laughs> and who believed in uh, that. And he, he specified who believed that aliens had visited Earth. <laughs> oh, Did he have specific. them like raise hands? Yes, is, he oh, had them raise hands. Yeah. Oh, this is the best. Yeah. And um, and then who believed uh, in telekinesis, which is uh, the ability to um, move objects with your mind. I'd like to get the us- war on science has a new front. <laughs> I, I'd uh, like to well, get us on the record. Who in this room believes in UFOs? Uh, I mean, I'm more of a flat earth guy. Um, <laughs> always. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the law of probability probably says that they exist. I don't okay. really believe in the visitation theory that much. All right. But, wait, would, but be, would anybody raise their hand for telekinesis? I mean, I mean, if you put your mind to anything, <laughs> you never really know. Uh, but, that, uh, that movie, Michael, is pretty convincing. <laughs> uh, no, George Phenomenon, I think you're oh, thinking Phenomenon, of. Oh, yeah. Phenomenon, right. Michael is the one about the angel. He's the angel in that Very one. similar anyway. movies, though. They're kind of like a like a Deep Impact Armageddon kind of yes, like Yes, came out around movie. the same time. Yeah. The yeah. John Travolta troubled man. Um, okay, sorry. So, uh, Judge Alsop. Right. Uh, but Judge Alsop's kind of a character. I feel like we've we've right. had... Multiple segments about Judge Alsop on this show. Yeah. Um, it's really funny to me. I mean, you said, first of all, it's it's funny that he said, I find jury selection and patent trials interesting because he is a, a masochist, uh, obviously, because <laughs> he's chosen this profession. But it's funny because, like, the... The like go to joke for jury selection is that you, the juror, have to say something weird to get yourself knocked off the jury. Because <laughs> now the it's the judge asking you weird stuff to see how weird you really are. So I guess the big question is once he asked these questions, did anybody who believed in both US UFOs and telekinesis make it onto the jury? Right. So there were two um two potential jurors who raised their hands and they were both sitting next to each other. One was a woman and one was a man. Um and the judge you know People kind of snickered in in the courtroom when he was asking these questions, but these the, the jurors who raised their hand were very serious serious <laughs> about it. And the judge asked him, "Was so what what what's the proof? Why do you believe that <laughs> aliens love this. came down?" Yeah, and you know they gave they gave an example. They they responded saying they they just have uh, a strong feeling that that we're not alone and that that aliens have visited. And, you know, the judge didn't want to pick on them, so he kind of moved on. He also a- happened to ask uh, the potential jurors what was the last book they read and what last, or last movie they watched. And those two jurors, one was had re- had watched uh, The Fantastic Beasts, which, you know, is, you know, <laughs> fantastical. Uh, and then the other one had had watched a documentary about witches. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah. That all tracks. Right, right. I've watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I read Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, okay? <laughs> I'm, imagining, questions? I'm imagining Randy Quaid from Independence Day. Yeah. Um, just talking about how he was abducted by aliens. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what I'm picturing in my mind as yeah. the, the juror. Uh, cool. Anything else? Yeah. I, you know, I want to say, just because this is Judge Alsop, and he, um, you know, he's just funny. He He's obviously presided over multiple uh, sure. patent trials involving technology like the... Uh, Waymo and Uber. Waymo yeah. and Uber, uh, Oracle versus Google, um, and he's he's uh, he's a known coder. Uh, he, yeah. He, I mean, not he, he only knows basic, but that's pretty. That's a, a lot for more advanced than most of us. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so after this all went down, some the uh, the parties kind of took turns knocking off different jurors, and one of the alien believers made it onto the, the final panel. Uh, True believer. I like the use of the term alien believer. <laughs> I, A- I, alien. Identify, I identify as an alien believing American. <laughs> alien loyalist. Nice. Yeah. The other one would have made it on too, but Juniper ended up giving up one of its uh, peremptory cha- challenges. So 
there was just basically an extra, and the judge is like, why don't you just go? Also, she had to catch a ride back to Alpha Centauri, so she uh, <laughs> there you go. Couldn't, couldn't be on the jury. Uh, guys, I know what I'm going to ask everybody as small talk at the holiday party now. Sounds it's just going to be telekinesis and UFOs. <laughs> right. Thanks for being on the show, Dorothy. No problem. That'll wrap up our show for today so we can all rush out to the holiday party. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. Maybe. <laughs> that was really weird. Bye. <laughs> and uh, Alex, bye. See you, bye. See you later. <laughs> As always, we'd like to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our guests this week, Daniel Siegel and Dorothy Atkins. And contributing reporters, Pete Brush and Jack Newsham. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you want to know more about anything we've talked about today, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like it, please leave us a review. It helps other people find us. Thanks, and join us again next week.